Praise the Lord. It's good to see you this morning. How's everyone? Happy New Year. Like, I, like Adam said, you don't really have to start anything till tomorrow, so enjoy lunch uh, at your favorite high cholesterol place. Whatever you might do. Well, it is a, <clears throat> a privilege to be able to stand before you guys this morning at the first of the year. Uh, I am truly honored that I, that I get to do this. Um, Adam asked, and I didn't hesitate. I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. So uh, get to bring in the new year with you guys. And it's been a great year. Um, we've just finished our first year uh, as a church plant. We should praise God for that. That's been pretty awesome. Amen. Uh, year one down, and here's to, to many years, many years to come. Um, I'm sorry, before the, before the, the service, I, I put the mic on. Can you guys even see the mic? It's hiding in my beard. How awesome is that? <laughs> I, I thought that was really cool. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> um, so it really is a privilege. I, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to do this. And I'm uh, grateful for Paul for stepping up and, and, and leading us in worship this morning. That was awesome. Uh, I did that once where I did worship and I preached. And I slept for four hours after the service. I was tired. It was exhausting. Uh, but we're going to jump into the Word this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, let's go to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be reading from uh, verses 1 through 5. Uh, short, short part of this chapter. This chapter is chock full of beautiful, amazing treasures. And, and I was discovering so much of it, but uh, definitely had to condense it and, and, and focus what we wanted to talk about today. And so we're just going to do verses 1 through 5. Um, Starting with verse 1, uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, are, for you all making my prayer uh, with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless his word this morning. Father, we thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be in your house, to worship together, to glorify you together. Father, to, to be a part of this body, this body that is a part of a, a much larger body. So many are worshiping you this morning. So many are diving into your word this morning and, and being encouraged and challenged and moving forward and, and not just in a new year, but continuing to move forward in the gospel and in life. Uh, as, they, as they work with one another, as they pray for one another. Uh, help us to do the same, Father. Help us to, to see your word uh, magnified in our hearts and in our minds uh, as we jump in. It's in your precious, amazing name we pray. Amen. So as I was saying, we're here at the end of, uh, well, actually 2016 is done. And uh, there's a lot of uh, talk on the internet because, you know, we're always on the internet. And everyone's saying 2016, just worst year ever. Uh, and from a pop culture standpoint, yes, I, I can see that. I mean, we, we, we've seen, I don't know how many celebrities and rock and roll icons and actors and different people pass away. We've all seen that, right? And I'm not saying that's a good thing. Obviously, it's, it's a bad thing. You mourn the loss of, of life, and, and that's true. But everyone's so wrapped up in what's going on in pop culture, what's going on in the world, and they think, oh, this was the worst year ever, 2016, boo. And 
I don't know, I, I thought 2016 was pretty awesome. <laughs> All right, we, had, we, we launched our church on January 10th of 2016. And every month after that, we just continued on moving forward. Uh, uh, I believe marriages got stronger in 2016. I believe people got closer to God in 2016. I believe people got great jobs and promotions in 2016, right? So it's very interesting that that's kind of what's out there. But that's from a pop culture standpoint, and that can kind of skew our... our understanding of how truly blessed we are to be in God's grace. And so uh, uh, looking back on this year, I was thinking about, as I, as I prepared this sermon, I was thinking about the things that we have done. Um, and it was very, very exciting, right? We saw professions of faith in our church. We saw baptisms in our services. Uh, we saw our first membership class, uh, uh, I don't know, inducted? Is that what you Inducted into Mosaic Hall of Fame. I don't know, that sounded weird. Uh, but we saw our first membership class here at Mosaic. Uh, I can remember back, and I saw Nathan uh, Orona put up a picture on Facebook not too long ago, uh, old picture of us, the day we all came here and trained on the sound system and set, and set up crew. And boy, we had no idea what we were doing. No clue whatsoever. But we trained together, and we learned how to tear, up and set, uh, tear down and set up for Sunday morning services uh, with plenty of bumps along the way, we all remember the, uh, I don't know, I'm gonna, I don't think anybody calls it this, but I'm going to call it the hot Sunday. <laughs> and who was here for the hot Sunday? The AC was not working and no one knew how to turn it on. I mean, literally, it's just buttons, but we didn't know what to do. And, uh, and the sound system wouldn't turn on, and so we went acoustic, and that was the day that Adam left, right? <laughs> Adam leaves, and we just have this wonderful, wonderful service. But I'm going to dub it the Hot Sunday. Um, <laughs> uh, we also had our first Mosaic Games. That was a blast, right? It was fun to see a bunch of old guys who still thought they had something to prove, uh, pushing the kids out of the way and saying, no, it's my turn, boy, and just trying to time ourselves and see how well we did. Um, we've seen two births in our church family, two babies born. Uh, and we've got two currently cooking as we speak. They're, 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 they're in the womb and they'll be out soon and we're going to rejoice when they get here. Um, but it's by God's hand and by God's grace that, that the people in this church have been brought together. Um, and we love our church, right? This could not have been done by man, right? Adam and I have had several conversations, and I'm sure he's had these conversations with others. Uh, but to see how God has brought this church together, to see how God has uh, put the individuals, uh, both in Adam's life and in your lives and our lives, uh, we couldn't have planned that. We could not have planned that. That was truly God and his hand moving in our lives. Um, as we jump into this letter, we see Paul um, uh, admonishing and just loving on the church of Philippi, Right? Uh, Philippians is an interesting book because it's in Philippians we see Paul just gushing uh, over the church at Philippi. He loves this church. Uh, if we were to be so bold to say this, and I think I will say it, uh, it's safe to say that Philippi was Paul's favorite church. Uh, I don't know if he had favorites, kind of like kids. No, I love all of you, but he really loved Philippi. Uh, it was a great church. Now, that's not to say that Philippi didn't have its problems or its challenges, uh, but they were a good church. And as we read through the entire book of Philippians, uh, you can see that, right? And of course, you do see hints of instruction and, and encouragement because, hey, we're still a church and we need that in our lives. Um, but Paul addresses them, and, and this letter is said to have been written around, I don't know, 10 years after Paul's initial 
contact with, this, uh, with, with the people in Macedonia, specifically the city of Philippi. And um, uh, we see that encounter actually in Acts chapter 16, where he encounters a, a woman named Lydia, who is the seller of uh, purple linens, right? Uh, and then he shortly after encounters a slave girl who they, they deliver from demon possession and, and, and bring God's grace into her life. And of course, uh, the Roman uh, jailer, where Paul and Silas were in prison and they began to sing praises to God. And, and this Roman jailer comes to, to faith. Three completely different individuals who have nothing to do with each other and would have otherwise never had any contact with one another were it not for the gospel, were it not for Paul going into Philippi and preaching. And so he encounters these amazing people, and you see a church just spring up, all right? And this is a huge investment of Paul. We know that Paul definitely, we call him a missionary, we call him missionary journeys, but I think we all understand that Paul was definitely a church planter. Um, now, Paul's an interesting guy, too. Paul is one of those just beyond incorrigible individuals because Paul says things like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Literally, you cannot argue with that statement. You can't do anything with a statement like that. If you threaten Paul with imprisonment, and of course he was in prison, if you threaten to beat him, if you threaten to do anything to him and, and hurt him in some way, he says, well, to live is Christ. Oh, yeah? Well, how about I kill you? Well, to die is gain. I mean, it just gets under your skin. You can't get to this guy. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the grace of God in him. And he just boldly pursues uh, uh, service to God. Um, <clears throat> recently I was having a Bible study with a friend of mine and we were in Colossians, uh, chapter three, verse, um, verses one through 17. I'm not going to read that to you. I'm not preaching on that, but we were just having a Bible study and a question came to my mind. What does a mature Christian look like? And in Colossians three, there is this beginning passage that says, uh, if you are in Christ or if you have been raised, uh, uh, speaking salvation wise, uh, then seek, uh, things that are above seated at the right hand of God. Seek things that are, that are centered around Christ. Um, uh, set your mind to those things. And then there's some several verses where uh, Paul is saying uh, uh, there's a list of things that you should put off. Put these things aside. Uh, put aside sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires. Put these things off. And instead, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And we had a wonderful conversation and a wonderful time, but that question did come to mind. So what does a mature Christian look like? And I began to just maul over that and maul over that. And I, I started to just feel like there's no such thing. Now, bear with me. Scripture points us to, to finding maturity in Christ and to growing in Christ. See, but that's, that's the thing. It's not that we ever attain a certain level of I don't know, when I say, look, there's a mature Christian, there's a sense of finality to that. Like, look, that person has arrived. Check that person out. He is a mature Christian. Let's all be like that person. I can't say I've ever been there. Um, speaking of, uh, of maturity, there was a time in my, in my younger days where I don't think any of us were mature when we were young. Uh, I was 18 years old. I was in my first year of Bible school. Um, and it, it, it's... It, it's funny to me, right? Our administrators, our, our dean of students, and the people that are over us and leading us spiritually and academically, they, they want us to behave really, really well, right? Hey, you guys are young men of God preparing for ministry. So they take a bunch of 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, about 50 or so, 
jam them into a barracks-type dorm room, and they think nothing's going to go wrong. <laughs> boys will be boys, right? There was one time where um, we had what's called a campus days, and so this is a time where we'd open up our campus, and students from around the state, the city, the region, other states would come and uh, possibly think about being a part of this school. And, um, you know, I want to check this out. So we'd open up our dorm rooms. We'd have this really cool service. And uh, uh, we'd pull out all, all, all the stops just to, to really impress these people and say, this is a school you need to be at. It was during this week I decided to pull a prank. And not just on one of my fellow students, on one of our visitors. Like, this kid is trying to come to our school or thinking, hey, I think I might want to come and prepare for ministry here. Oh, yeah? We'll see about that. <laughs> And so I, uh, it was uh, someone else's idea, and of course, you know, my dumb 18-year-old mind thought, that sounds awesome, let's do that. He found this uh, Halloween mask, um, and they make great masks nowadays. You see them, and they're just horrendous. Like, you look at them, and you're like, well, that is the ugliest face I've ever seen. Let me put it on. <laughs> and, and I put it on, and it just looks, it looks horrible, right? Now, let me give you a little background here. So this is a rural part of San Antonio, Texas. Um, in San Antonio, Texas, a lot of mesquite trees, so there's this, like, this kind of almost like a, a shorter but pretty dense forest of, of trees, and you can get lost out there. Now, today, it's not really rural anymore. From what I understand, that place is just blown up, and there's residential houses everywhere. But back then, it was rural. And um, the school sat on 88 acres of land, so it was a lot of room to just cause mischief. Well, we started spreading rumors. And the rumors kind of already existed, but we thought we'd exasperate them a little bit. Yeah, there are witches and warlocks that come out to this campus. And they go out there and they do all their magical stuff and sacrifice cats. I mean, we're just hamming it up. We're just throwing all this stuff out there. And we're, I don't know, think we're trying to scare them. And the idea was... It was a hot day, so we opened all the windows, right, in the dorm rooms and let the cool air, the night, cool night air come in. And so I put the mask on. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. I put the mask on, and I go outside. Now, our visitor, who's a friend of one of the students that was there and friends of a couple other students as well, so he, he knew the guys. He was right by the window, and he was asleep in the top bunk, and his arms kind of hanging off, and so I have perfect access to this guy. So I put the mask on, and I have a flashlight, I shine the light in my face, and I grab him, and I shake him. I don't know, I think I said something like, I'm going to get you, or something like that in a really weird voice, like, I'm coming to get you, and I take off running, and, and uh, it was really funny because that weekend, uh, or that night, the president of the school happened to be driving around, and he thought, yeah, I'm going to just drive around and check the campus out, make sure, and of course, I see headlights coming straight at me, and he sees this weird figure running across the road with this really ugly face. I got in trouble for it, but that's, that's my maturity. I mean, we, I was not a very mature young man. We were just trying to play jokes. So what does maturity look like? What does a mature Christian look like? Well, I don't think, again, I don't think a mature Christian exists. What I do believe exists is the maturing Christian, the Christian who is in the process of maturity. Here I am at 40 years of age, and I still don't think that I've reached some level of maturity that I can say, hey, look at me, I'm a mature Christian. I don't think I'll ever have the confidence to say that. And so what I believe is that we are constantly maturing. We are constantly growing in Christ. We are constantly um, drawing, uh, drawing nearer to him. Um, <clears throat> the main point that I want you guys to get away from this pa uh, passage of Scripture that we're going to jump into 
or one of the main takeaways, uh, is based off of verse 5 in this passage. Uh, Partnership in the gospel is reflected in service to God through his church. And uh, I'm a three-point guy. Um, I've always been a three-point guy. I don't know why. It's just a habit, so I have three points here. Uh, First point is a maturing Christian is a servant. Second point is a maturing Christian embraces the gospel. And the third point, a maturing Christian partners with the church for the sake of the gospel. So let's jump into uh, to verse 1. So Paul introduces himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. Now this is an interesting way to, to open up a, a passage. In other passages of scripture we see Paul uh, say, Paul the apostle and Timothy the brother or Paul the apostle. And typically when he did that, he prefaced this with, hey, I'm the apostle, I'm the authority figure in this church, and I'm here to basically reprimand you. So anytime we see that, we usually see a church being called out on their misdeeds or something going on in their lives where they're, they're just basically not um, doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not living out the gospel this way. But, but Paul approaches the church of Philippi a little bit differently. He says, uh, a bondservant, a slave. Now this word servant actually translates to slave, which is an interesting phrase because uh, in Roman society, the word slave had a very negative connotation. Not much different than today. We say slave today and we understand it's a negative thing. Uh, we don't like slavery. Uh, there are forms of slavery that still exist in our world today. Slavery was abolished in, in, in America, not, not but a few, you know, a little over 100 years ago. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's still fresh and we're still experiencing the, uh, the, the effects of so many years of of, uh, of slavery. So it's not, a, it's not a very popular word. But we look at Paul and we see automatically he is his selfless service to Christ and others for Christ's sake. So there's something to this. And of course, the Church of Philippi probably understood what he was saying, but I wanted to jump into this for a little bit. So Paul's introduction shows who he is and by whose authority that he writes. Now, in Roman society, uh, I'm sure they had taught the Philippians and, and everyone in Macedonia to hear nothing but powerless subservience to the term slave. But Paul and Timothy kind of flipped that because guess who else flipped that? Christ flipped that. And so Paul and Timothy demonstrate the counterintuitive truth uh, that these men actually do have God's authority and that Christ has captivated them as slaves. So trying to sell slavery as a, as a good thing. Um, Now, that doesn't land very nicely on our ears, but here's the reality. This this makes sense if you look at Scripture and look at life through the lens of we're all slaves to something. Every single one of us are going to be slaves to something. Um, They're demonstrating here that uh, those Jesus saves, he enslaves, right? So if we're not a slave to Christ, then then what are we a slave to? We're going to be a slave to something. Um, Are we slaves to money and success? Notoriety, to affection, to romance, to reputation and and respect from others? Do we so fear rejection uh, that that we're enslaved by people's opinions? Uh, In John chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to it. In Romans chapter 6, verse 18, it says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Scripture continues to declare that we are not our own, but that we have been bought with a price. We're slaves. We were created to belong to God. And so the problem with, obviously, 
Christianity or the problem with humanity is that sin has entered in and we got this idea that we can be somehow autonomous and separated from God. I can do my own thing, I can live my own life, and that's not exactly how it works, is it? And so that's what Scripture teaches us. And so we have a hard time buying into this. There's a a pretty awesome poem. I think it's an awesome poem, but it absolutely contradicts everything I just said. And I've actually found some motivation from this poem. I really have. Uh, It's a poem that many of you probably heard. Um, And the poem is called Invictus. Anybody ever heard that poem? Invictus by uh, William Ernest Henley. I'm going to read it for you. It says, Out of the night that covers me, Black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. And this is the kicker. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Really nice poem. But it absolutely contradicts what we are to be in light of who Christ is. We are slaves to Christ. We are slaves to Christ. To grace, If we have accepted grace, if we have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we are subject to that. And our strength is not in this so-called unconquerable soul. And I am not the captain of my fate. I am not the, how does it say, I'm, I, I'm the captain of my soul. I'm not the master of my fate or the captain of my soul. I'm a servant of the Most High God. Um, Chrysostom, uh, a church father, was quoted as saying, one of the slaves of Christ, or I'm sorry, one who is a slave of Christ is truly free from sin. If truly a slave, then he is not a slave in any other realm. So here's the thing. If we're a slave to something, because again, we are all going to be a slave to something. We will have a master of some kind if it is not Christ. Um, Here's the problem. That master will abuse you, will use you, and discard you and not value you in any way, shape, or form. Um, that master will give you nothing. If it's money and success, you'll, you'll achieve it. And guess what? It's, it's somehow going to slip through your fingers. If it's the respect and admonition of others, uh, for a while you may have it, but then they start to see through maybe some character flaws and just one little thing goes wrong and you lose it and your entire world falls apart. These masters will, will destroy you. Why not be a slave of Christ? Why not surrender our hearts and lives to his grace, to his mercy, where he will actually empower you and give you his authority to speak his word? Um, The other thing about slavery is that being a slave confers delegated authority. So again, uh, one thing was taught and thought, but in the church, they had to understand a different thing. Because in the Old Testament, when the word slave or servant of the Lord was used, it was referring to men like David. Moses and Joshua. So there was this idea that, oh yeah, I'm a servant of the Lord, because David was a servant of the Lord. Moses was, Joshua was, these great men of God, great men of the faith, and even more that we can read about in Hebrews chapter 11. And so this was most likely taught to the Philippians. But above all that, Paul and Timothy demonstrating what 
a life of service looks like. But where did Paul and Timothy get it from? From Christ. Christ himself demonstrated what it was to take on the form of a servant. See, it's one thing to be told, hey, serve people. Do this. Live this way. Live that way. Uh, But when something is demonstrated to you and you see its effects, you're almost always just going to buy into that. I'm sold. I recognize that uh, this is powerful and that this works. Christ became a servant to ultimate obedience in death on a cross. Let's dive into that, that gospel truth. Let's dive into that grace that allows us to serve in such a way. My second point is a maturing Christian embraces the gospel. This is the gospel or this is the grace of God. So uh, looking at verse, uh, verse 2, verse 2, Paul immediately begins with grace to you. Grace to you. He is invoking nothing less than the favor of God, the embrace of the Father, lavished on us for those of us who absolutely do not deserve it. All of us who don't deserve it. He says, grace be unto you. And then he goes on to say, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a beautiful, beautiful picture. So Paul describes this, honest, uh, uh, I'm sorry, this uh, astonishing exchange in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says, and again, we've just established this, for our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the innocent, condemned, and we, the guilty, pardoned, made right in God's sight. This almost doesn't seem right, does it? But that is the gospel. Now, the result of this grace, the result of this gospel is peace. And he continues on, grace to you and peace. Without this grace, without God's grace, we will have no peace. I think we all understand that. Uh, So the result of this is peace. Um, I totally took this from from someone else uh, and paraphrased it a little bit to, to my liking. I have no shame there. But uh, this is the gospel described, recognizing who God is and recognizing who we are. Okay? This is a very powerful thing that we uh, continually need to dive into. The gospel is that there is an infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful creator God who created all things for his glory. You and I, We've belittled that. We've belittled his name. We've belittled his glory. By sinning against him with the very gifts that he has given us. God then, not being able to spare wrath, sends Christ in the flesh and crushes him. And in so doing, pours out his wrath against the children of God on to the Son, killing him. Then God raises him from the dead. And that some power, I'm sorry, and that same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you and I for those who believe today. This is the gospel that you and I have right standing before God, not by our efforts and works or by our skills. There is no good thing that you or I can do. We can't act better. We can't dress better. We can't speak better. We can't treat people better, although we should. But outside of the grace of Christ, it means nothing. We are justified before God by the cross of Christ alone. 
Christ bears the power of life and death, and you and I have the power to resurrect nothing, to atone nothing, only Christ. And that's the good news. And for this reason, we don't celebrate us. We don't celebrate our autonomy. We don't celebrate, uh, look at me, look how well I've done, look at what I have accomplished. Instead, we continually celebrate Christ. We boast in the cross and the cross alone. That's the gospel. Something very important to understand about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this, this hit me like a ton of bricks. John Piper said this, um, that we'll never outgrow our need for the gospel. We're never going to outgrow our need for the gospel. The gospel is not something to be looked at to say, hey, this is a means to salvation, and then leave it and go on and get stronger in something else. That is the thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll never outgrow our need for it. That's why we're talking about it today. That's why Adam will bring it up in various, in almost all sermons. That's why we will constantly go to the cross because that is where we discover who we are and who God wants us to be. It's a source of continual growth in my life. This peace obtained through grace helps me keep peace with others and put others' needs before my own. How did Paul love so many people so much? That, that, that kind of blows my mind. Um, we'll jump into to this in a little bit, but I'm going to go to the third point now. A maturing Christian partners with the church for the sake of the gospel. That is a partnership in God's grace, as we've just established, extended to us in Christ. This partnership or fellowship describes the bond that ties together people who are something, uh, I'm sorry, that ties together people who have something important in common, who share a special privilege or treasure. Now, this is an interesting word. So um, Paul continues to say, he says, I, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making uh, uh, my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This, uh, this partnership is translated to fellowship, which is a word many of you probably heard uh, in the Greek, it's koinonia, uh, meaning fellowship. And of course, in our culture and in church culture, we've reduced the word fellowship to kind of meaning cookies and coffee, <laughs> or we get together and we eat some food. Uh, we just want to hang out together. Let's, let's go grab some lunch. Let's fellowship. And we'll even say it here in church. It's uh, times that we have refreshments and, and we say things like, well, stick around, talk with one another, fellowship. And of course, yes, that is fellowship, but this has a much deeper meaning. There's a partnership. There's my life is now bonded, not just to Christ, but bonded with each one of you for his sake. And so whatever comes and whatever comes in front of us or opportunities that come in front of us where we can advance the gospel, that's what we have partnered in, uh, in with. Only God's grace can bring people together like this. Again, I think of, of Lydia, slave girl and the, Romans, uh, the Roman jailer. Those people would have never spoken to each other, yet they're a part of this church. And, and, and we can assume that maybe they're still a part of this church. And Paul is writing to them in such a, a, an amazing way, with such great and deep affection. I love you all. I thank God for you, remembering you in my prayers. I thank you for partnering with me in the furtherance of the gospel. You've been there with me. You've gone through things with me. We've done this together. Only the peace of God can do that. Only the peace of God can bring people like this together. What is mosaic? Mosaic is brokenness made beautiful. Each one of us a different piece. 
Each one of us, this, this one little shiny piece, maybe broken, maybe shattered, maybe full of despair and, and difficulties, and, and we're just trying to make it through. But as soon as we begin to match ourselves with others who have bought into the grace of Christ, we start to see something beautiful take shape. And again, it's not something we can do. It's not something you and I can plan or orchestrate. It is the grace of God. Truly amazing. If we are partners in the gospel, it's because we are partners in grace. Because the invincible spirit of Christ has pulled us in spite of ourselves. Out of the pit of self-centered, self-reliance, made us face the ugly reality of our guilt, and has drawn us to trust in Christ. How difficult is it sometimes to, to say, to pray, or to truly mean from the bottom of our hearts verses 3 and 4? Let's read that again. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making prayer uh, with joy. Do you think of each other that way? Or has someone annoyed you? Has someone ignored you or slighted you in some way? Has someone offended you in, in, in the way that they present themselves? I mean, I think that we can all look around and see the person next to us and know that we have different opinions on a million different things. And one of those opinions are bound to offend another person. It's the nature of, of humanity, is it not? Maybe someone sings just a little too loud next to you. And actually, that's not so bad, but they're off key. And I don't really like this person. I mean, we could come up with a million different things, but it is the peace of God, the grace of God that brings these people together. How else could Paul love this church so much if it were not for the grace of God? And we know Paul's story. Paul, the, 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 the condemner of Christians, the killer of Christians, all of a sudden coming and planting churches for Christ's sake. That's the grace of God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The bottom line is if there is no partnership, there is no church. If there is no partnership, there is no church. So we come together not as mature Christians. We come together as maturing Christians. Each one of us at some point in our lives bought into the gospel. And now we're here celebrating Christ, celebrating the gospel of Christ, celebrating his grace, recognizing who we are and recognizing who he is. Here are some practical ways that we can continue to partner together in the gospel. I have a quick list of four things here. We can give. Yes, we can give our finances. Absolutely. A lot of people believe that Paul was speaking financially in this particular chapter. Uh, I have gone on to further the gospel, and I thank you for partnering with me in that business endeavor, if you will. So, yeah, we give financially. We give of our time. We show up on Sunday morning, maybe tear down crew and set up crew, maybe people that set up chairs, maybe, well, obviously we have our greeters and we have our prayer team, we have individuals that want to participate. So we give, we give our hearts, we give our lives, not to the church, but to the gospel, and we do that through the church. We can commit, commit our time, again, commit our time, commit ourselves to serving in some way. Hey, it looks like you need help here. Um, I got an extra pair of hands that, that can do some work. Let's get this thing done. So we commit our families. We commit our time. This one's amazing. I, I love this one. I think sometimes we may not do this enough. Pray. We can pray. I partner with this church because I pray. 
I pray for Adam. I pray for the members of this church. I pray for the families. I pray for what this church is trying to do uh, for the the sake of Christ. And the fourth one is live. See, because we can come to church, and we can be like a lot of other churches where we show up on Sunday morning, and we just do church. And then we go home, and we never see each other again. And I don't see you till next Sunday. Or maybe not even then because I'm going to be on vacation. So I'll see you two Sundays from now. But living the gospel out is interacting with one another. Not just in the hello, how are you, good morning, let's have some coffee. That nonchalant type of chit-chat that we, we're very accustomed to doing in American society. But diving in deep and living for one another, living with one another. Not literally, I don't want you in my house. But walking in life with you, praying with you, talking with you, hearing your heart, your joys, your triumphs, and your defeats, that's living the gospel. So no, a mature Christian doesn't exist in my mind, but a maturing Christian does exist. A Christian who is continually and actively in the gospel, growing further and further in Christ. So we finished 2016. I don't know, what does 2017 look like? What do you think we're going to accomplish in 2017? Well, I'm looking forward to a great year. Yeah, we'll probably have some downs at times. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm assuming because life is life after all. But we're going to have a lot of ups as well. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to stop pursuing God. I'm not going to stop pursuing the gospel, communicating the gospel. And I believe you want to do that with me. I believe you want to do that with Adam. I believe you want to do that with this church. And if you're not doing that with, uh, with another church, then by all means, please do that with this church. You're officially invited to come and make 2017 an amazing year for the gospel. Let's bow our heads and pray and ask God to bless what we are going to do this year, what we need to yield ourselves to this year, and ask him to, uh, to anoint it. Because again, without his grace, without his mercy, it's just noise and wasted human effort. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you have shown us that a mature Christian, though scripture does point to maturity, it's going to be an ever-growing concept in our lives. We are constantly maturing. We are constantly growing in you, growing in faith, growing in the gospel. Father, I pray that you would help us understand the applications of, of service, serving you, being a slave to you, allowing you to use us walking in your authority, God, speaking your name, speaking your truth. Help us to embrace the gospel daily. Help us not to forget it or put it aside. Help us to never, ever get to the point where we think we can outgrow our need for the gospel. And Father, finally, help us to just partner together at Mosaic, in other churches, wherever we're at, with other churches, with other believers. Help us to partner in service, help us to partner with the gospel, help us to partner with our churches for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your word. This city needs you. This city is seeking and looking for something, Father, and we are here, a tool for you to use to spread your gospel, to spread your truth. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in your amazing, precious name we pray. Amen.